have you used Facebook Marketplace as a way to get rid of some of your stuff? I tried to sell a bow and arrow, and that apparently is not allowed. Why is that? I guess it's a weapon. Like, you can't sell weapons or something, maybe? I guess anything could effectively, that sold on Facebook Marketplace could be a weapon, though, if you use it the right way, right? Right, like even a toothbrush. Isn't that what they use in prison? It's like a shiv or whatever. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. So thank you for joining us. And welcome to episode number 134, all about Facebook. That is Chris Boyer on the other side of the microphone. I am Reed Smith, and welcome to another episode of Touchpoint. Welcome, Reed. I'm sorry I was distracted a little bit. I was updating my post on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Can you still poke somebody? Is that a thing? Uh, I don't know. In this day and age, it just sounds like you can't. Yeah. I'm just saying. Hashtag. Well, never mind. I'm not going to go down that. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for telling a friend. We appreciate all of the support uh, around the show. We are at episode 134, which is kind of crazy to think about. Quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Be sure to surf over there, navigate over there, check out all the other shows, the other show host, show them some love, rate, review, subscribe over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. Tell a friend that's still word of mouth, folks, word of mouth, still the best way for everybody to find us. So let's uh, take a brief pause and we'll be right back. eVariant is on a mission to move healthcare ahead with healthcare's only Patients for Life platform. Armed with their actionable intelligence, healthcare providers optimize growth through smarter patient acquisition and retention. eVariant is headed to Nashville for ShishMed Connections. Schedule a 15-minute briefing to be among the first to see what's new. Secure your time and receive a $50 Amazon gift card. You can sign up and reserve your time over at eVariant.info slash touchpoint. That's eVariant.info slash touchpoint. And if you're not attending ShishMed, no problem. You can learn more over at evariant.com. So an episode about Facebook. We're finally doing it, Reed. Yes. It was inevitable, I guess, which really, uh, funny enough, we all kind of met over Twitter, so we probably should have started with Twitter. But um, I still think Facebook is probably, I guess, centric on most conversations I have when it relates to social media, not my personal social media usage, but with clients and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm the same way too. I just personally have kind of been drifting further and further away from Facebook. I still use it to keep in touch with my family and friends. But uh, when we're talking about it professionally, Facebook is still a pretty predominant platform that organizations are using to connect with their audiences, even to connect with their own employees. You know, I, I guess I probably post a fair amount of stuff on Instagram, which I guess technically is owned by, not technically, it is owned by Facebook, but not Facebook centric. I probably use Facebook Messenger 
more than I use Facebook proper. Again, sans all the like client stuff, right? Just like personally or whatever. But I don't post as much stuff on Facebook as as maybe I used to. I think this kind of leads us into this this first article uh, from, well, maybe not even an article. They actually call them fact sheets. But over on Pew Internet, pewinternet.org, the Pew Research Center, they have some incredible studies and all kinds of really cool data and things like that. Well, they update this social media fact sheet every year. So this one was done just a month and a half or so ago, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes through you know, what they're seeing. And so some of this stuff has changed more over time, but it's really interesting to look at this each and every year and see kind of how things have changed. So maybe let's jump in and kind of get a baseline for our discussion today. One of the first things is right at the top where they talk about social media use over time. And they have a chart from 2005 until, you know, just recently, right? Until 2019. And it shows percentage of U.S. adults that use at least one social media site. And they said in 2005, only 5% of American adults used at least one of these platforms. This year, it's 72% of the public use some type of social media. How funny is that? Because, and again, I, I say this half kidding, but but there is some truth in the fact that the reason a lot of us are experts is one, because we've been doing it a really long time. But two, just by the nature of doing it for a really long time, we were kind of first to the table around some of these things. We were the first people on Twitter doing tweet chats. We've had Dana Lewis on the show with the HCSM hashtag. Of course, I did the tweet chat around healthcare marketing and the HCMKTG hashtag, et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of us met on Twitter. And you know, if you look at this chart back in that time frame, that 08, 09 time frame, you were still at the most in the 30 percentile range of, again, adults, Americans, you know, using, you know, some type of a platform. So it's kind of funny to think about that, you know, half the people that are currently using one of these platforms is, is who was there originally, right? So it's doubled since we've started. It has. And moreover, I remember that those early days when we were kind of dinking around on social media when working with hospitals, that we used to have this bias to say people our age were kind of the only people that were using social media, right? Not older people. It was just people that skewed a little bit younger. The second chart that they have here is they show that while young adults were among the earliest social media adopters, the rise is actually in people in every age band that are using social more and more. They map 65 plus way back in the early days when we were in there, it was about maybe, maybe, you know, like 2%, 3%. And now 40% of people over 65 are using social media on a regular basis. And it's every age band, right? So even the Gen Xers, which you and I are, or the millennials, or even uh, people under age 18, they're using social media at, at all different ages are growing significantly still. It is pretty interesting. And, and it's funny that there's even that room to still see that growth. If you look at the platforms even that, that are most popular, certainly Facebook is is outpacing uh, everyone. Now, now w- with a small caveat that if you look at this chart, just the last couple of studies they've done have included YouTube. Previous to 2018, they did not include YouTube, or they didn't measure it at least. And they haven't gone back historically to try to kind of figure that out. Just in this 2019 report, they did add Reddit 
which that's probably a show for another day. That would be kind of interesting to dive into. Or maybe not, depending on where we dive into with yeah, Reddit. Yeah, be careful, careful <laughs> crazy. Yeah, on that. So taking out YouTube and Reddit, because I don't think most people equate those with social media. Probably should, but, th- but they don't. Also, WhatsApp what was a new one the previous cycle. So there's just a couple of iterations of it. But in any case, with all that included... The only thing outranking Facebook is YouTube. And then there's a pretty hefty gap between Facebook popularity and then the next one down, which is Instagram, also owned by Facebook. It's kind of like that old joke we used to have, like YouTube, also owned by Google. Well, Facebook owns almost all the social media traffic. Facebook is twice as high as Instagram. 69% this year of U.S. adults are using it. The closest is Instagram at 37%. So you can see, I mean, Facebook is clearly outpacing it. And this is despite the fact that, you know, in a couple episodes ago, we talked about in the Mary Meeker study that people are abandoning Facebook at a fast rate. Well, it's still growing significantly in terms of usage. And it's still the most dominant platform that's out there for social media. And I would assume once you're getting to those percentile points that there is going to be some churn. They've been relatively flat, even in this study over the last several iterations from 2016 to now. So you're seeing 68, 68, 69, you know, et cetera. Whereas some of the other ones, I mean, even though that's like modest, if hardly any growth at all, it's pretty flat. If you look over at Twitter, it's gone from 24 to 22%. I saw growth from 15 up to 24% over the course of six or so years. And then now a dip, Snapchat, a dip. Uh, YouTube is flat. WhatsApp is a dip. We've seen some growth or kind of a resurgence, a little bit of a growth after being flat with LinkedIn. Instagram certainly is continuing to grow. Pinterest has taken a, a minor step back, but basically flat. So with all that said in that context, that even though we see people leaving the platform, they're still net new in a little bit of an upward trend still. Not only that, the last chart we'll highlight from this Pew study before we go a little deeper into Facebook is daily usage. A daily usage of Facebook still far outpaces everybody else. 74% of people that are using Facebook use it on a daily basis. Wow. What falls really closely behind that, Snapchat and Instagram, they're lingering around the 60%. Twitter's at 42%. YouTube's at 51%. It's not only that they're on these sites, they're using them quite frequently. Whether we like it or not, Facebook is a platform that's kind of here to stay. It is. Not that people aren't leaving, but you know those numbers can be big when you have that many people to start. When we're looking at 74% of people you know, checking it daily, I think some of the more telling numbers are even not the weekly number, but even the less than weekly. 9% for Facebook. If you're participating on Facebook, you're doing it on a pretty regular basis. Whereas Snapchat is up in the 22%, Twitter 29%, less than weekly. So even though people have those platforms, the utilization is is pretty low at times. You also highlighted and pulled out some stats from a deeper study, the facts about Americans and Facebook, 10 Facebook facts. And some of these we already covered, right, about daily usage and the amount of people on it. But there were some other things from this 10 Facebook facts, we'll link to it in the show notes, that were interesting. One of the first things is that Facebook is still used by around half of America's teens, But it no longer dominates. It's still, though, used by 50% of those teens. Assumptively, 
to you know post fake messages so that their parents who are friends with them know that they're not going to parties and stuff, right? That they're going to class. This is me walking across campus. You know, here's me in the in the library. <laughs> and then Instagram's entirely different. So I mean, they, they have it. Seven out of ten adults, seventy four percent daily. Well, here, here's another stat. You know, that's that's pretty interesting. The other one, too, that popped out at me was lower income teens are more likely to use Facebook than higher income teens. Interesting. I wonder why that is. That That's an interesting stat. It says that U.S. teens generally use so, similar social media platforms, regardless of demographics. But Facebook is the one that has that significance. Seven in 10 teens living in households earning less than 30000 a year use the platform compared to 36% of those whose income is 75000 or more. Is there now a, uh, a socioeconomic bias in, in social media? And if so, that's really interesting. When you, when you look at another stat on here, actually number six on the list, around four in 10 U.S. adults, uh, are 43% specifically, get their news from Facebook. Ooh, now that scares me. Is there news on Facebook? Do they have news? I'm not sure <laughs> of any sort, but anyway, I'm sorry, I'm getting off, off track here. But if you look at it compared to some of the other ones, as far as being a pathway to news, is kind of how they framed this, 43% Facebook. You go down to something like LinkedIn, 6 6%. So, I mean, wouldn't you think just by the nature of what the platform is that you could get even it just being more readily accessible or I, whatever on LinkedIn or even Twitter for that matter. Twitter at 12%. <laughs> Is that a thing? I thought Tumblr got shut down. <laughs> even though they're getting their news from the site like almost well 40 percent of them are another stat that jumped out is m- many of adult facebook users have significantly altered the way they use the platform they say that a little over half of adult facebook users have adjusted their privacy settings in the last 12 months that makes sense to me the whole thing with cambridge analytica the whole polarization of politics but more than that About 4 in 10 adult Facebook users have taken a break from checking the platform for several weeks or more. They've taken that Facebook vacation. You know, even 26% deleting the app from their phone. And I've heard a lot of people doing that. Like, hey, for the summer, my kids are out. I'm going to delete the app. You know, I'm going to spend time with, you know, you start kind of getting into that. Let's take a a brief pause and then uh, maybe pick back up where we left off. You care about simplifying the way your healthcare organization does business, and so do we. At Scorpion, our mission is to empower our clients to focus on things that really matter by giving them a simple, powerful, effective suite of marketing solutions for their healthcare digital presence. To learn more, visit us online at scorpion.co. Before the break, we kicked off this article. There's just a couple of more points on here that I think are worth making around uh, this Pew Research study, 10 Facts About uh, Americans and Facebook. And this is interesting because it goes back to one of the last ones I talked about, which is you know people using Facebook to get their news. Uh, number eight on the list, many adult Facebook users in the U.S. lack a clear understanding of how the platform's news feed works. So we don't know how the news feed works, but we're getting our news. Yeah, 
that's a sad state mm-hmm. of affairs, isn't it? The last two stats, read are very interesting because they relate to the thing that we've been talking about, you and I have been talking a lot about, the privacy and also how much Facebook knows about you. Around three quarters of Facebook users are not aware that the site lists their traits and interests for advertisers. Now, they probably are more aware because I'm not sure if you remember this from a few weeks ago when suddenly all the images stopped working on Facebook. Do you remember <laughs> no, that I missed that. It was like for half a day, Facebook wasn't really responding. And what would happen is, is they would pull up the pictures and it, it would only show the meta information about those pictures. It said things that were related to traits and interests. Oh, man. Health related, blah, blah, blah. And it only showed the tags instead of the photos. And at that point in time, I was like, oh, my gosh, I know exactly what my ad preferences are because the ads are showing me that. That Obviously, they're there for a reason. That is unbelievable. And it kind of goes certainly to that one, but also the the final point here, which is the fact that the company maintains a list of user traits and interests. And that does tend to make people uncomfortable. And it says here 51%, so a little more than half, uh, said they were not comfortable with Facebook maintaining this kind of a list. I would agree with them. I'm not comfortable with that either. But certainly there are some significant changes that Facebook is making to kind of address that public sentiment that's out there. And that's really what the final article we're going to talk about today, which is actually a great article I found on marketingland.com. It's called 16 Social Media Updates for Marketers in 2019. So far, it was just published on August 5th. So it's relatively fresh off the presses. We're not going to go through all 16, but what we are going to focus in on are some of the the things that are happening in Facebook, which probably directly relate to some of these stats we were just talking about, right? Yep. That and Google Plus. No, I'm just kidding. Although Google Plus is on the list, (laughs) so you should go check this out. It's very short. There's not a lot said, but it is here. Let's dive into the Facebook portion of this. Again, it really is actually some pretty cool content on here uh, about the different platforms, Instagram, Twitter, the aforementioned Google Plus that doesn't exist anymore, uh, LinkedIn, you know, et cetera. So anyway, be, be sure to go check all that out. Again, link in the show notes. But Facebook specifically, first thing they call out, custom ads becoming more transparent. So they talk about in the spirit of transparency, Facebook has decided to let users know more about why they're targeted by a specific Facebook ad. Maybe you've seen the, why am I seeing this? I'm doing air quotes. Uh, Can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes. Uh, It's an explanation now that includes the name of the business that uploaded the, the information to Facebook, potential involvement from agencies, Facebook marketing partners, uh, et cetera, custom audiences, all that kind of stuff. So it really is kind of fascinating. If you're interested in like targeting, you could do that. This is a direct response to the Cambridge Analytica scandal. But the era of that dark post or that dark ad is gone now, right? Because you can see it. You can even navigate in Facebook and see on any brand's Facebook presence, you can go to see what ads are currently running and even who they're targeting. But targeting is still important because targeting for certain ads is still a pretty powerful thing uh, that Facebook's doing. And in fact, Google is stealing a lot of it for their pay-per-click. But That's a whole different story that we could talk about. But the one thing that we found with Facebook is they're starting to restrict targeting more and more. You may have heard recently about discriminatory uh, targeting in Facebook. That was a scandal that, that broke earlier this year. Well, guess what? They're no longer preventing housing, employment, and credit card ads to be targeted by age, race, and gender. 
That's because they settled a bunch of agreements with civil rights organizations. Here's one that I could kind of get on a soapbox about. I'd like someone to figure this out. So if I could throw this out there for everybody that's smarter than me, I get retargeting. Like I understand what's happening. I've visited a website. Now I'm seeing ads. Can we not figure out that once I've bought said product, I could quit seeing these ads at that point? That would be super. Like I've already bought the thing. Like quit showing me anyway. Well, it could easily be solved. Read all you have to do is share with them your credit card information, <laughs> yeah. and they'll see that transaction yeah. come yeah, through. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine even seeing additional ads in the same company about complementary products. That would be even smarter. Somebody should figure that out. I'm gonna make myself a note. Actually, the next thing on here is changes in the newsfeed algorithm. I mean, this happens all the time, right? Like, I mean, this isn't new other than it's new. Well, I don't know. I don't understand the Facebook news feed. <laughs> We're in that category. We're in that percentage. <laughs> but but they do talk about it in here. And I do remember him, him, Mark. We're friends. Mark uh, Zuckerberg making this comment that, you know, they want to make it more like a living room based on what we see in 2019. So the, the algorithm update, it prioritizes like connections or friendships and close friendships specifically. So, you know, Facebook claims they know who you're friends with and like how close you are to said friends. There's also another update to the algorithm where they're prioritizing certain pages and groups. It's like, kind of figure it out, guys. What are you trying to do? I know that Facebook is trying to drive more and more people to groups. I know that's what they're trying to do, but still uh, they're changing their algorithm there. Really, the whole point here is all of these updates are used as a way to kind of adopt that living room-like feel that isn't lost on me that Facebook also introduced that video device that you can put in your living room now. So the interest of Mark trying to get into our living space is starting to bother me a little bit. Explain to me why somebody's going to buy that screen from Facebook. I don't know. Don't we already have that? It's in your pocket. It's called an iPhone. Like, come on, guys. So organic is back again. Like, I'm confused. I don't know what's happening here as far as like Facebook pages go. But anyway, they've completely changed it around. They'll change it again probably by the time this show airs. Next is the actual video algorithm. A little bit different than the news feed, but although I guess kind of related, there's several pieces. One of them goes entirely against everything we've ever preached, which is the length one. There's four components here. We've always talked about short, sweet, keep it short, whatever. The longer, three minutes or more, they say, videos are favored. All right, everybody stop now. Go change your content strategy. We need longer videos on Facebook. That's the problem. That is so antithetical to what we know about social media. But other things, just so you guys know really quickly, loyalty and intent, videos that people seek out and return to are prioritized. Video viewing duration, videos that are watched more for at least one minute are prioritized. And then originality. I don't think that that's a big surprise, but they want content that's more original because if you're repurposing content, they're just going to deprioritize that. The originality one. So the loyalty and intent and the duration piece, uh, the viewing duration, I think makes sense, right? Like Facebook's looking at it and going, hey, look, a whole bunch of people are looking at this thing for a real amount of time. It must be good. Like I can, I understand that 
The originality, I think, is an interesting one because I'm not sure exactly how you determine that entirely. But of course, this goes even, I think, to photography of like stock versus real pictures and some of that kind of stuff. In addition to these video things, they also introduced a whole suite of video editing tools. And this article, just go look at it. You can kind of dive through all those different video editing tools. But clearly, they're doubling down on videos. There's one other thing, Reid, I think we should focus in on because it has a direct impact on us in the healthcare business. And that's around a points management. Ooh. Yeah, you would think that would make a lot of sense for us. Obviously, this uh, makes a lot of sense for a, a lot of people that are in the service business, but you can book services through Facebook and even Instagram. So send appointment reminders. Again, think about this. Like we're trying to connect with people and find them where they are. This is a great way to do that. I don't know how logical it is or if we can make this work uh, inside of healthcare just yet. But think about being able to book appointments and not just book the appointment, but send reminders to these people through the conduit of like what they're already participating in versus creating a new app or new new process. And it could sync with other appointment management tools for sure. But I think about a really good easy use case is when you're doing health fairs or you're doing anything that's free and you want to promote it, adding this feature, the appointment management feature would probably guarantee that at least the people that say, hey, I'm kind of interested in this and, you know, do the drive by I'm interested in click, which I've done before, that they you can use appointments management now as a way to nurture them back in and making sure that they uh, are aware that your health fair or whatever free event that you're doing is available that day or is happening that day. Absolutely. And you can pay for it with the new Facebook cryptocurrency, which has also <laughs> been announced. So I'm not even going to get into that. But if you want to know more about it, it's in here. Uh, there's also some other things, uh, you know, how you manage notifications and, you know, some stuff about the automated ads and some new tools for small businesses, et cetera. So uh, a lot of great stuff here. And which leads us to the interview that we're going to listen to just after the break, right? Absolutely. Really excited. I learned a little bit more about Facebook Live and how uh, some hospitals out there are winning with it. So uh, let's take a quick break and we'll jump right in. Are you struggling with online reputation management? Binary Health Analytics provides healthcare systems, hospitals, and physician practices a complete view into managing patient feedback from online ratings and reviews and especially surveys. It continuously mines feedback for sediment, uncovering timely and actionable insights. Its management tools help turn these insights into an opportunity to increase patient engagement, manage reputation, and improve patient experience. To learn more about Binary Health Analytics, visit Binary Fountain online at binaryfountain.com. That is binaryfountain.com. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. Today, I am fortunate to be joined by Jen Tai. She works at the famous Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Reid. 
I'll let you give a little bit of your background, but your day-to-day, I guess, life is spent around content creation, social media, all that kind of fun stuff for the hospital. But maybe um, for those that aren't familiar with you and your role, uh, maybe a little bit of your background and a little flavor on and what you do. So I'm the social media specialist at Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital. Our social media team is a team of one, and I am in charge of content creation, strategy building, community management, monitoring, pretty much anything related to all things social media with the hospital and its departments. So we have you know, our Facebook page, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, those are our main platforms that I'm in charge of. And then content creation and bar none with all those. And so that's funny. And that's probably a conversation for another day. But people just assume some of these bigger hospitals, I guess, for lack of a better term, bigger markets, maybe uh, have these huge teams of people. So it's always great to hear from folks, I think, that are a little more jack of all trades. You're involved in all the different platforms and, and all that kind of good stuff. So that's that's very cool. I did want to talk a little bit about, for those that are not familiar with socialmedia.org, uh, you should check it out. It's socialmedia.org. And they have a healthcare component to that now or a health component to that now. And it's it's made up as a membership organization, uh, no vendors allowed, that kind of thing. And you guys get together for meetings and all that kind of good stuff. They featured an interview with you on their blog or their website, social channels, things like that, a little while back about Facebook Live. And I thought it was really interesting kind of reading through that. And so I wanted to talk, if we could, for a few minutes about Facebook Live, certainly, but just kind of the idea of live video as a strategy. Was it really thought of as that way? I mean, did you guys think about now we're going to embark on live streaming content? Yeah, I would say that it did start out that way. So I came from like a broadcasting channel company that heavily utilized live stream as a way to kind of produce engagement with their audience while still holding on to that live aspect. Um, So when I started at the hospital in early 2017, we implemented Facebook live streaming as just that, kind of giving a live look into the things that are happening in the hospital, health awareness months, holidays that we're celebrating, and give people the opportunity to ask experts questions live and get them answered live as well um, and throughout the live stream. So it really did give an an extra special look into the things that are happening um, that's a little bit different from your typical photo or your typical produced video. So talk about that just a little bit, because I felt everybody get a little bit of heartburn when you said people can ask questions live and get (laughs) answers live, right? So (laughs) how does working with hospitals all around the country, like I know not not everybody, I'm I'm not going to say we're just opposed to the idea but like that's not a super comfortable scenario because it's unpredictable. Were, were there a lot of conversations around that? I think everybody who is involved in the planning process of like bringing live streams to the hospital was pretty on board with it with the knowledge already that they knew that there would be some HIPAA things to go through, some patient privacy, things that we would have to discuss and produce well in advance with the people who are participating. Um, And when we first started, there were plenty of questions from the physicians or the experts that were first involved within these live streams. But as we started to get into a groove and had videos to refer 
refer back to moving forward with our live stream interviews, people started to become a lot more comfortable with the flow and how it goes. Um, I would definitely say in the healthcare realm in regards to live streams, the production is key. So there's a lot of pre-production work that goes into it. Talk about that for a second, because I think the misnomer maybe is the fact that because it's live, like you just showed up somewhere with your phone <laughs> right? and just started recording, right? But that's that's not the case. I mean, there was some pre-planning. So what kind of what does that look like? So maybe a month, even two months out, we're looking at our content calendar of health-related, you know, recognition months or health holidays that are upcoming, and we'll reach out to the department and their leaders to see, okay, is there someone who would be great on camera who'd be interested in discussing this topic on a Facebook Live? For us, Facebook Live streams, we tell them it'll be anywhere between 15 to 20 minutes max if we go over because of questions that's completely fine. But then we schedule an interview with these experts to kind of guide them through what we're going to be talking about. So there are pre-produced questions that come from the person who's hosting these segments with our experts. And then we kind of talk through, okay, are there any questions about this topic that you want to veer away from? Is there anything that you feel like might be brought up that might be a little bit controversial that we should stay away from? Um, And we ask those questions so that when we are going through the live stream, the person who is monitoring the comments. We're kind of janky and we hold up a whiteboard behind the camera so the host (laughs) can read it. Is there anything that we should stay away from so that when they're reading through the comments, they know, okay, these particular questions, let's not ask them live. We'll take it offline, maybe message the person privately and respond. So we have that type of pre-production work that really helps us, you know, plan and make sure that we kind of avoid any situations, negative situations that may come up. You know, there's probably a lot of uh, fear or anxiety around some of this stuff that, to your point, once you have some examples, people get a little bit more comfortable with it. Not, not that something negative can't happen in the future, but I think it's probably, at least my opinion is, that's probably less likely than we anticipate it to be, uh, whether that's reviews online or live video or whatever it is. All right. So you, you're talking about ask the expert types of scenarios. Have y'all done other live type video that's either event based or, you know, in, a, in another kind of context outside of that Q&A setup? Yeah. So in particular, I want to say that we've done maybe two that are very, very much event-based, and that all had to do around our research and education building, um, state-of-the-art building that was being constructed on our hospital's campus. And we did two Facebook Lives around it. We did one Facebook Live that was around like a topping out event. So it's essentially like a ceremony where they put the tree on top of the structure. And then we did one when we finally did the ribbon cutting for the event. And those two were very much event-based Facebook live streams where there wasn't, you know, any talking happening from a host or questions being asked. Um, You could hear all the speakers talking, you could hear cheering, um, some background music, but those were very, very much event based. And pretty much what happens throughout that is we may work with an external production company that helps us with camera angles. And they actually have like a professional switcher that we can use to switch between camera angles. But the main social media function is really just that community management. So keeping people engaged while they're commenting, um, whether it's like a congratulations or great messages for our physicians or whoever the speaker may be during that event. 
There's a couple of things there. And I think what's interesting is that you're a department of one and you're doing some of these things. You are bringing in some outside resources occasionally, but you're a department of one. What do people need to be able to get started? You mentioned professional folks and camera angles and a you know video switcher and some of that kind of stuff. But how, you know, what's how easy of a path is this to get started? I would say it's fairly easy. And that's one of the things that I did stress toward the end of the socialmedia.org health interview is, you know, a lot of people get hung up on the equipment that they don't have and that prevents them from starting, but that's not really the case. So I would say like bare minimum, your phone would be great. But if you have like a selfie stick or something that you can use to hold the camera while you're shooting, I think that's very important for the shooter. (laughs) So their arms don't get tired. Um, (laughs) And there's a lot of, you know, stability, extra stability that that actually does for you while you're shooting the Facebook live stream. And then when we kind of started venturing into more, you know, professional territory, we were borrowing equipment from our multimedia team. So we started using lav mics. And that was just like a simple Google search on how to hook that up, what wires that you needed to hook it up to the phone. Um, And we kind of started getting more into the professional realm with that. And now we're at the point where we can kind of pick and choose. So if we have a Facebook live stream that is really dependent on mobility, so moving around such as in the Dr. Arnold live stream that was highlighted in that socialmedia.org piece, we shot that on the phone and we hooked them up with two lavalier mics so that you could hear them throughout clearly throughout the live stream, no matter how far away they were from the camera. But for Facebook live streams that can be a little bit more static, we'll use, um, I have a Sony A6000 mirrorless camera that I will hook up to a computer and we use an, a third-party platform called OBS to stream that Facebook live. That one's a little bit more technical, but again, Google is wonderful. <laughs> you can... Um, learn how to set everything up from there. So that's kind of where we're at right now. But it's as simple as having a phone handy on you and just kind of making that leap. Something you said there initially is, I think, really important. And I want to make sure it doesn't get glossed over, which is, I think in a lot of cases, whether it's live video or, I don't know, pick pick, pick the subject matter, I guess, it's pretty easy to find a reason not to get started. Your point about like, you know, just doing it, just getting started Chris and I have talked to a lot of people about this relative to podcasting. It's like, look, you don't have to figure the whole thing out. You just got to start creating audio content at some point. Sometimes the hardest one's the first one. And again, you mentioned Dr. Arnold. So those that are are not familiar on your medical staff is somewhat new to your area. Is that right? Yes. So she started in July of 2017. Yes. And she is the director for our medical simulation and also the star of TLC's The Little Couple. How important is the comfort level or finding people that this can work for? I think part of the tripping point for a lot of folks is they see somebody, and I point this out a lot with Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson that was up at Seattle Children's, Seattle Mama Doc was her uh, handle on Twitter, and or is, I guess, and all that stuff. And people see her and go, ooh, we need to get a pediatrician blogging. And it's like, well, okay, maybe, but it was her idea, right? And so how important is, you know, having a physician or having that person, basically not having to talk someone into it? 
I think it's very important because especially when you're live streaming too, you can sense their comfort level while they're in the live stream. So really, the most important thing for us is so as a social media specialist, I am actually a part of the public relations team that is under the Department of Marketing. So what's really valuable with that is when we're seeding physicians or experts to be involved in these interviews, we do want to make sure that they're media trained and our public relations department does an amazing job of hosting media trainings for our staff in case there are any media outlets that want to cover a certain topic that this physician is an expert of. So we really don't utilize physicians or experts that aren't comfortable being on camera because the moment you start doing that, it shows, and especially during a live stream as well. And the other good thing about it is because we do work at a pediatric facility, most of these physicians are very comfortable speaking, you know, using layman's terms and not buzzword or medical terms that might confuse people. Um, So we don't struggle too much with like how to pick are physicians or experts. Um, But yeah, I think it is very important that you are picking out experts that feel comfortable talking about what they're talking about and feel comfortable on camera and going with the flow of the live stream. You know, you're going to have examples of previous uh, streams or live casts that you've done. And if they're good, that's great. If they're bad, that's probably even more detrimental. So I think, you know, having that example is good. You just want it to be a good example, certainly. So, so I'm a hospital. I, I want to start kind of venturing down this path. Maybe I've even done, I've broadcast live on Twitter before, or maybe Facebook live or something like that in the past. But, you know, I want to make this more of a concerted effort in my organization, or maybe it's just brand new. What, what are some of those tips, Chris and I always kid that like I can tell you exactly how not to do a podcast. <laughs> what are some of those things either that you need to look out for or kind of as you're venturing into this space would be be great things to keep in mind? So first and foremost is like the technical issues. When you're doing a live stream, you're choosing the location ahead of time and you're testing how that wireless function or internet function is working because we have had our fair share of Facebook live streams where it kind of cuts out in the middle and then you have to end it and start over again. So all those technicality issues definitely are a huge important part of a Facebook live stream. Um, I would definitely say the pre-production work is very important. So discussing ahead of time with the person that you're interviewing, uh, what they're going to be talking about, what questions might they want to stay away from that come through during the live stream any topics or questions that might come up that they aren't sure about, we'll just kind of take that conversation offline, essentially, the community manager will. Um, And then the biggest thing for me, and this is more like social media strategy wise, is after the live stream ends, don't just leave it there and forget about it. There are like tidbits that you can pull from a Facebook Live to create future content for social media, but also the most important thing is community engagement. So as those comments roll in after the Facebook Live stream, it's just really important to keep that engagement going and keep that relationship with the experts so that you can reach out to them via email to ask any questions that may come up after the live stream ends. And oftentimes we do see our reach for that video go up exponentially even a week after the Facebook live stream ends because people are still finding it in their news feeds and watching it and commenting and engaging with it. 
That's great. And I think that's a really, really important point. Uh, And we've even done shows on this, but this idea of create once and publish everywhere strategy. And so I think not getting hung up on the idea that this is only a live event, that's just how it started, right? That's how we captured the content. You've given some great tips, especially on how to prepare for that. But I think there is more of a long tail and kind of an evergreen piece to this that can be beneficial uh, to the organizations. And so I think that's a, I think that's an excellent, excellent point. I could keep talking about this, but I think this is such a great topic and a great opportunity for organizations. If people want and have additional questions, thoughts, ideas, uh, want to pick your brain, what's the best way for them to reach out to you and connect? LinkedIn is always great and they can reach out to me on Twitter as well. Awesome. And we'll, we'll be sure to link to all that in the show notes. Her name is Jen Tai and really appreciate your time and uh, all your expertise and thoughts and appreciate you being on the show. Look forward to having you back. Yes, I will definitely love to be back. Thank you so much for having me, Reed. I really appreciate it. All right. Special thanks to Jen Tai. Appreciate her insights and a really great use case for Facebook Live. And I thought uh, some really neat insights around how they kind of get up and going, struggles, wins, successes, all that kind of good stuff. So be sure to reach out to her. Thank her for being on the show and connect with her online. Yeah, absolutely. We're honing in on a conference, but before we get to... uh, recommendations and all that stuff. Let's maybe kind of go through our list. The first one coming up is uh, the ShishMed Connections Conference 2019 edition, September 8th through the 11th right here in Nashville, Tennessee. So you can go over to ShishMed's website, get registered for that. Let me know if you're coming. I've got an event I'd love to invite you to. Nothing else, just love to connect while you're here in town. A lot of people are reaching out to me, asking me, you know, like, am I going to be at Shishman and stuff like that? And I won't be. Reed definitely will be, though. So definitely connect with him. I've been directing a lot of people your way, Reed, so I hope you don't mind. It promises to be a great conference, and I would love to see you there. But, you know, we're going to be in a webinar just a couple of weeks later for Medicom. We'll add a link into the show notes for where you can get that. We're just going to bring people up to speed on some of the trends that we've been hearing in healthcare in this really cool webinar. So we'll definitely send the link out to everybody. And, you know, a great way to get that link, go out to our website, touchpoint.health, and subscribe to our email, the TPS report. That's right. Because you get that link every week. That's right. We'll add that in there. Uh, That'll be a great way, a great reminder for how you can register for that. And so, yeah, a couple years of learning after doing this podcast of things we've heard and different trends and all that kind of fun stuff. So that should be fun. Another one, a super favorite of mine and yours up in your neck of the woods, uh, just a short month later at the towards middle, towards the end of the October, our 22nd, 23rd in Rochester at the 2019 Mayo Clinic Social Media Network Annual Conference. So we were doing the math and uh, it looks like while there was a conference in 2009, this particular group, uh, which was originally called the Center for Social Media, now the Social Media Network formation was officially about this time of year in 2010. So this will be kind of the ninth anniversary, I guess, uh, of that group and always look forward to that. Again, October 22nd, 23rd, Rochester, Minnesota, and uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. 
Absolutely, we will. And then just a few weeks later, in sunny Orlando, Florida, you and I will be at the at the Healthcare Internet Conference. This is uh, also marks probably the ninth, maybe even tenth year that I've been at this show. Love the Healthcare Internet Conference. Uh, it's a great place to go learn all about the latest trends. Reed, you and I will be there. We'll be recording a podcast, and I will be presenting as well. And we're certainly up for uh, grabbing a drink with someone, maybe even making a trip out to uh, eat some alligator while we're there. What do you think? Possibly, <laughs> possibly. Um, and you know, I know you're a uh, a newly minted. Well, not newly, I guess somewhat since last year. Healthcare Internet Hall of Fame member. Uh, I am not, but they're still letting me come to the conference. So that's nice. So you should too. Check out all the uh, all the happenings. Always a great conference. A lot of fun. A lot of good people. Uh, a lot of smart people. So again, come find us first part of November down in Orlando, Florida. Let's, uh, let's turn our attention to some recommendations. Uh, I will actually go first. We're building a studio here at Gerard Phillips Kate and Hancock headquarters in Nashville, Tennessee to do some different recording and all that kind of good stuff. So that's been a lot of fun. And so I've gotten to play around with some really neat equipment that I'll probably start using here on the show. Uh, one of those being a, a Shure microphone, Shure SM7B. So this is the one you see at the radio stations all the time. It kind of looks like a a barrel, kind of a black microphone, usually hanging from the ceiling. Uh, these will not be hanging from the ceiling. So what little bit I've played around with it, man, I'm telling you, it sounds like I know what I'm doing. It's very cool. Very great microphone and uh, would would definitely recommend it. It's a little on the pricier side. It's a little more of a, it's not a prosumer. It's a pro microphone uh, and you've got to have some equipment to run this thing. So it's not something that just plugs directly in your computer, but if uh, you're in that world and you like gadgets and all that kind of stuff, or maybe you're doing some stuff for your health system and ready to kind of jump it up a level, I can't recommend it enough. The Sure SM7B. That's awesome. That is awesome. And I am so jealous of that studio that you're building. <laughs> I might have to start, you know, building that studio in my spare bedroom. That's here right. Too, That's so. right. Well, it's interesting that you're recommending a microphone this week, Reed, because I am recommending a microphone as well. Uh-oh. Yeah, but my microphone is actually on the complete opposite, well, almost complete opposite side. We've talked a lot about Facebook Live that I have purchased recently, this really tiny lavalier mic that's designed to have an easy clip system and go right into your phone so you can record for uh, you know, podcast interview, a video conference, or even voice dictation. And as they say here, ASMR use. It is the Power DYS lavalier mic, professional grade lavalier lapel microphone. It has noise canceling for flawless recordings. It has a 3.5 millimeter uh, compatible jack, but you can always put in that little adapter so it fits in your iPhone because iPhones can't have that same jack. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. It comes in a little tiny bag. And get this, the price, $22 on Amazon. Nice. So the next time you're going to do one of your Facebook Lives and you need a lavalier mic, this may be something you want to purchase. Very cool. Makes a ton of sense. And uh, I mean, certainly can't go wrong with the price point. So it's worth trying out. And it does. It it is very helpful, especially, you know, people want to keep their hands free, uh, especially like in a Facebook Live or something like that. That'd be very cool. Well, awesome. Another great show. Another great week. Uh, Again, appreciate the support. Touchpoint.health is the website. Rate, review, subscribe over on 
Apple Podcast, or if you happen to be listening, reach out to us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or your social media channel of choice. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.